your mind because we had some great passages in there about bringing every thought into captivity. There's verse 5, verse 4, the weapons that we use as Christians. Some really great stuff in those verses. Well, we're back to a theme here that we've kind of hit on before in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Part of the reason why this book was written is this is a defense of Paul. Paul obviously wrote 1 Corinthians, and he wrote 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. That church did not respond real well to his book. His book was pretty straightforward through the Lord. He was addressing a lot of sin issues. And we've talked numerous times throughout this study how sometimes as Christians we have to be the bad guy in a good way. Well, what happened is they started attacking Paul personally and started saying, well, who's this guy? Who are you to say anything? And how many times have we heard that even today? I don't know how many times people have come up to me and say, hey, fill in the blank, my brother-in-law, my sister, my friend, my cousin, whatever, is going through this issue, and I really feel like I should talk to them about it. But every time I talk to them, they always say, well, who are you to say anything? I know what your past is like. I know what you've done. And so therefore, what happens? We say nothing. Well, Paul's the first one to come out and say, he's a sinner. He's going to say tonight that he's weak. He's going to say he's not good at speaking. He says in other books of the Bible that he's the least of all the apostles. He's the chief of all sinners. He's not trying to make himself anything. But he also says, I know what God has called me to say and called me to do, and so therefore I'm not afraid to do it. So I want to tell you tonight, as you get ready to go out there and be a light and a witness, the enemy is going to throw everything he can at you to keep you quiet. That you're a hypocrite, so you shouldn't say anything. It's not going to be taken the right way. You don't know what to say. You don't have enough wisdom. You should let somebody else who knows more to say something, to do something. That's just sometimes the enemy hitting you and attacking you. We all have a responsibility to take a stand, and you see Paul tonight taking a stand. Look at verse 7. It says, Do you look at these things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is in Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, even we are in Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for our edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Now I wanted to read all that, because we're going to come back and break this into pieces. And we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse, because it's important to get the full context of what's going on. Paul is being questioned. His authority is being challenged. So what's the first thing he says? Verse 7, he goes, why are you looking at the outside? Why are you looking at the outside? Because what happened in verse 7, the people that were challenging Paul are saying, well, you know what, we're in Christ. Paul's not in Christ. Paul comes back and says, wait a second, as much as you're in Christ, I'm in Christ. Then they come back and they say, well, you know what, verse 8, this whole authority thing. Paul's trying to push authority on us. Isn't this kind of interesting? Especially among Americans and especially among Christians, we hate that word authority. We hate it. 
Authority sounds like somebody lording over us and telling us what to do. And there's this big movement now to not have any authority over us. And I'm not talking anarchy, but I'm just saying this authority just, just stifles us. But Paul uses this word authority. And I thought that was an interesting word, and I looked it up, and it really does mean authority. That's what it means. Paul is saying that there is a spiritual authority over you. Now, that's strong words. Now, why does he have spiritual authority over these people? Because Paul wants to build his own little kingdom and he wants to have his own little power? No. He has spiritual authority for two reasons. The first one, look here in uh, verse 8. He has authority because God wants him to edify, but which the Lord gave us for edification, which means to build up. And what's the other reason why he has authority? Jump down, if you will, to verse 16 to preach the gospel. Did you catch this in verse 15? That as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you. Now, if you stop right there in verse 15, that sure doesn't sound good, does it? Paul says, I want to go out there and preach the gospel to you, so that way you go out and preach the gospel to other people, so therefore more people are following me. That's almost what it sounds like, doesn't it? End of verse 15, we shall be greatly enlarged by you. Almost like a pyramid scheme. I save you, you go out and save somebody else, and then you bring them to church, and then our little kingdom keeps getting bigger and bigger. Paul says, not that's not why I do this. He goes, I have authority. Why? Because verse 8, because I want to edify you. And also verse 16, so that you may go preach the gospels and the regions beyond you. See, I, I pray this prayer every Sunday, every Wednesday. I pray that the church is full. Not so that way we can pat ourselves on the back, because the more people that come, hopefully are the more people that are edified, and the more people that are edified then go out into their workplace and world and, and spread the gospel of Christ. Now, we've been talking about this on Sunday mornings. There are certain churches and certain ministries where the only thing they care about seems to be themselves, how big they are, how great they're doing. But yet, is the focus supposed to be on the ministry or is the focus supposed to be on the Messiah? There's always going to be big churches. There's always going to be big ministries. And if there's big churches and big ministries, well, the understanding of that is there's supposed to be more opportunities to go out and spread the gospel. If somebody is involved in ministry or is a pastor or just anything in the church, and the reason they're involved is to bring attention to themselves and bring more people under them and under their authority, they're totally misunderstanding this. Paul says, I have authority to edify you in verse 18 and verse 16 to have you go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And if you have that mindset, it doesn't matter who gets the glory as long as it's God's. Turn if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's build on this for a second. Because this is a big deal. I know when I tell somebody I'm a pastor, first thing they usually ask is where. And the second question they usually ask is, how big's your church? People that don't even go to church. I don't know what it is. How big's your church? Or if they go to church, how big's your church? How many people come? I don't know if this is, a, once again, this American thing of who's ever the biggest and the best and whatever in numbers. You know, and I, and I really get tired of that question of how big is the church? It's not that I'm trying to take glory away from the Lord because I'm thankful for the church growing and I'm thankful for things going well, but yet then it almost becomes this pecking order type thing. Well, that means the bigger churches are the better churches. The smaller churches are the worst churches. I know churches that are huge. I wouldn't want anybody I know and love to go to those churches. I know some churches that aren't that big, but they sure have a pastor that loves the Lord. It's not the size. It's not that at all. See, this is what was happening in Corinthians the first time. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Do you ever realize sometimes, and I know Holy Spirit wrote it, I know he wrote it, but do you ever realize how Paul has a tendency, <coughs> excuse me, has a tendency to make a comment that when you really stop and look at it, he's like, he's kind of like putting them down. He just called him in verse 1, carnal, babes in Christ. You know, it's like someone coming up to me and saying, you know what, you're a really nice guy for being short. You know, it's kind of like, well, I thanks, I think. And so he's calling them carnal, Babes in Christ. 
I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. There's not really a good way to take verse 2. I'm trying to give you the simple stuff of God, but you couldn't handle it. And you know what? You still can't handle it now. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. For where you, there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Paulus. Are you not carnal? See, we always look back at the church and we think, wow. I don't know how many times I've heard people say this. Man, I wish I could be part of the early church. I don't wish I could be part of the early church. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They kind of gave, screwed up on their giving a little bit and they got killed just like that. Here, look at this church in Corinth. They're carnal. I mean, and there's this infighting, there's this envy and strife and divisions. They're, they're taking sides in verse 4. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Man, no. Verse 5, who then is Paul and who then is Apollos, but ministers through whom one you believed as the Lord gave to each one? Paul says, we're nobody. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. My goodness, if you're involved in any type of ministry and church, and if that ministry is having success, what Satan wants to do is to convince you that it's all you. The reason people come to the study is because you're such a good teacher. The reason people are coming is because you're so good at worship. The reason people are coming is because you're so good at doing this. Or the reason everybody compliments the church because you're so good at cleaning it. Fill in the blank. They always want to bring the attention on you. That's what Satan does. What did we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? If you want to glory, glory in God. What did we just read here in 1 Corinthians 3? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He goes further in verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters but God who gives the increase. If someone gets saved, who gets the glory? God. Who gets the credit? God. I've been in Bible studies before where it almost becomes a competition of how many people you've led to the Lord. And it's like you put a little mark on your belt or something like that. I brought this guy into the kingdom. No, you didn't. God brought that person into the kingdom. You may have handed planting, you may have had a hand in watering, but you know what? God's the one that gave the increase. And we've got to remember, and this is something that's a very big deal to me, so often you have a loved one that you want to see saved. Your heart breaks for them. And so you plant, you water, you plant, you water, but you don't get to see that person come to know the Lord. And there's some type of mindset on you that you failed. If you would do a better job, maybe your ministry was just the ministry of planting. Maybe your ministry was just the ministry of watering. God's the one who takes care of it. I've come to the conclusion after years of being out here that I don't know how long someone's going to stay in this church. People move for various reasons. People leave for various reasons. So what it comes down to is for every time someone's in this church, I want to make sure as a pastor I'm doing a good job of planting and watering. And I've seen it before where someone has come to this church and they've been a work in progress, a major work in progress. And we plant, we water, we plant, we water. We start to see fruit and then they move. And they go to some other church and they just blossom. And I am so jealous because we put all that work into it. And that church gets the mature believer. We got the junk at the beginning. But there's also been times where people have come into this church, and I don't know their background, but they come in and it's like, wow, that person's in full bloom. Somebody over the years has done a good job planting and watering, and we get to reap it. What a blessing that that is. So verse 8 now, he who plants and he who waters are one. I, I can't stress this enough. There's not a competition. Do you realize to the unbelieving world how dumb we look as Christians? Like we're competing against each other all the time. But who's got the biggest church? Who's got the biggest ministry? You flip on Christian television and all these pastors are trying to, to almost outdo each other. Paul comes and says in verse 8, we are one. I'm not talking ecumenically here of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Of uh, bending on theology or watering down truth. I'm not saying that. But if there are two people that truly love the Lord, that are trying to see souls get saved, it's not a competition. It's not. 
I don't care who has the bigger prayer meetings or the bigger Bible studies or the bigger whatever. We are working for the Lord. Verse 8, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So you know what? Your labor may just be planting. You never get the glory of seeing people get to come to know the Lord. God says, I see you work. I know what you're doing. Your labor may be behind the scenes out here at church. People may not even know what you do. God says, I see your labor and you will be rewarded for it. So it doesn't matter what the outside sees. It matters, are we doing it for the Lord? Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it, but each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, if you're building a foundation on some spiritual leader, that foundation is going to crumble. If you're building your foundation on some church, that church is going to crumble. If you're building your foundation on some book you read, that book is going to crumble. The only thing you build your foundation on is Jesus Christ. It always concerns me when I see somebody that is so madly in love with a ministry, a pastor, or a church, because I'm like, be careful about that. Honor and respect those that serve. Honor and respect the fact that God uses that ministry. But the foundation of your salvation is based on Christ. If Paul, of all people, wanted to build a megachurch, this guy could have done it. But he just kept deflecting it off him. It's not me, it's not me, it's God. And he's saying here in 2 Corinthians now, he goes, you know what, I got authority. I don't need to prove to you I got authority. I know I got authority. See, he already knew what he had. He goes, and my authority is there to edify you and to see more souls get saved. So he didn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to push himself. He doesn't have to say, hey, look at me. He knows what God has called him to do. And his whole point is deflecting it, deflecting the praise back towards God. Now, before we move on with the rest of this, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about what we've covered thus far before we move on? Okay. Now, Paul goes a little bit farther here. Did you check in verses 9 through 11? It says right here that he is edifying, verse 8, and not for your destruction. He's not trying to tear him down. Verse 9, he's not trying to terrify him. But they say in verse 10, this is kind of a little bit of sarcasm here. He's powerful in words, letters, but yet his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. I think verse 11 is one of the greatest threats in the Bible. Let such a person consider this, that with what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will be also indeed when we are present. That's close to fighting words, I think, right there. That's Paul saying, you know what? When I meet you face to face, I'm not going to back down. Now, I don't think this is threatening, and I don't think this is necessarily fighting it. The way I would translate this in present-day language, I can be a pain in the butt if I have to be to you guys, because I love you. I think that's the point that Paul is trying to get across, is our job sometimes as ministry leaders is to be a pain. It is. Our job is to poke you a little bit, to say, hey, I'm concerned about you. Rich and I just had lunch together today, and we were kind of praying over some things and some situations. And it's just like, you know what? We have such a heart and a desire to see marriages go better, to see souls get saved, to see people go deeper in the Lord. But the problem is, sometimes they don't want to go deeper in the Lord. And it's the proverbial, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, you can't make anybody go deeper in the Lord. But yet that's what we want. That's what we desire, is we want to see people edified, as it says right there in verse 8. I want to see people... Verse 16, I want to see it enlarged because verse 16 happens so the gospel can go out and spread the gospel of Christ. The more people that come and get edified and build up in God's word and worship and fellowship and prayer, the more people that can go out and tell people about Christ. Isn't that the whole point of why we are here? And so therefore, sometimes we have to be a pain in the butt. I don't like calling people up and saying, hey, someone said this and I want to check and make sure. Is that true? I don't like those phone calls. I don't like the phone calls sometimes of like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. 
I actually, obviously I'm calling out a concern, but yet there's a spiritual concern going on. There's an individual that um, I have a, have a spiritual contact with, and I saw him the other day in Deschler, and you kind of make that little quick eye contact, you know what I mean? Man, that guy turned and moved as quick as he could from me. I don't really like that. Now, I'll chase him down. I will. I love going to Ron's. I see half the church at Ron's in Dashler every single time I go. And so anytime I need to go see somebody that hasn't been to church in a while, I just go to Ron's. And eventually I'll run into them in front of the milk or something. And you know what? It's awkward, but I try not to make it awkward. Hey, I haven't seen you all. How things are going? I've shared this story with you before. Forgive me for the repetition. There was a guy years ago that used to come out here on a regular basis. And he came out and just kind of fell off the face of the earth and ran into him in a social setting. And I, before I could even say hello, even say hi, he looked at me and says, Pastor, I'll be at church on Sunday. And, <laughs> and I, he didn't show, but they say what I want to hear. Paul is saying once again in verse 11, he goes, hey, I can be a pain, but I can be a pain because I love you. And that's the truth of the matter is we can be a pain because we love you. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, okay, well, this is good. That's your job. It's all of our job. Look at verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Now, this word sphere, I always find this fascinating when every major translation translates it differently. New King James calls it a sphere. Sounds very almost Star Trek-ish there. King James calls it the measure of the rule. New Living Translation calls it boundaries, and NIV calls it field. Each one of your translations calls it differently. Basically what it's saying is you have a area, a field, boundaries, a sphere that you have a spiritual influence in. You do. Now you may not think you do, but you do. My sphere of influence is the pastor of Harvest Fellowship Church. I don't know what your sphere of influence is. If you work outside the home, you have a sphere of influence at your workplace. If you go to school, you have a sphere of influence around the people you go to school with. If you stay at home, you have a sphere of influence or who's ever in your house. You have a sphere of influence wherever you are at. Now, the problem is we don't like spiritual responsibility. So some of us here, that's like, oh, no, I'm not responsible for anybody. Yeah, you are. Now, you're not responsible for the salvation, but you are responsible for the people that God brings into your boundaries to witness to, to share with, to have a testimony with, and encourage. You have that spiritual responsibility. But yet, some people don't like responsibility. And so that idea of being spiritually responsible for people, that really freaks them out. I always wanted to be the assistant pastor. Always. I never wanted to be the head pastor. Because if I was the assistant pastor, I always can say, you know what, that sounds like a really tough situation. I'll take that to the pastor and we'll pray about it. I love passing the buck. I can remember I used to work at Ottawa. And uh, when I worked for the village of Ottawa, I used to run lab for the wastewater plant. And um, you had to turn in all the paperwork. There was a lot of I's to dot, a lot of T's to cross, a lot of things to do. But I didn't have any wastewater licenses or anything like that. So I did most of the, I did the lab. And, but I wasn't responsible. There was Jason that was above me that there was a problem that he would take. Everyone above him was Jim. And above Jim was Karen. And above Karen was fill in the blank. It never got down to me. I liked that. I didn't have to worry about anything. We sometimes don't like that responsibility. And so therefore, when somebody comes into your life and it's like, wow, this person's really hurting. I really feel like I should do something. So I'm going to pass them off to so-and-so. No, you're not. That is your sphere of influence. Now, if there's truly something that you feel you can't handle, questions you can't answer, come talk to us. But so often I see people where there's this person that comes into life, they really need the Lord, so you know what? they really need to talk to you. They don't know me. They know you. They're opening up to you. Now, you may not like that spiritual responsibility, but God says if I'm bringing somebody into your boundaries of life, 
I'm also going to give you the wisdom on how to handle it. But most of what we do, spiritually speaking, at church is we try to have the smallest sphere you can imagine. I don't know how many times we hear when it comes up to VBS, hey, we need leaders. Oh, I don't want to be a leader. <laughs> uh, I'll do anything, but I don't want to be a leader. So what happens is Dawn tries to make it sound as simple as possible. You just got to get them from point A to point B. You start out with 20 kids, just end with 20 kids. No, no, I don't, I don't want to be a leader. Leader, no. If I go up to someone and say, hey, you know what? So-and-so is hurt. Maybe you should go over and talk to them. What are they dealing with? Well, they're having this problem in life. Oh, I don't think I could talk to them about that. Why not? Holy Spirit's in you. And what happens is if God brings people into your life, we have a spiritual responsibility to encourage them, uplift them, edify them. And it may just be your kids at home. It just may be your unbelieving spouse. It may just be unbelieving co-workers. I don't know what your sphere is, but you have people in your life that need the Lord and need to be encouraged and need to be edified. And the goal is, look at verse 14, is not to get the biggest sphere you can. That's not the goal. As it says in verse 14, we are not overextending ourselves. I think that's a problem sometimes where people try to take too much on. I wrote down in my notes, sometimes there's a need, but that doesn't mean that you have to fill it. And I've seen people, and I don't get this, and I'm not trying to pick on somebody here tonight if that's their way, is if they see a need, and it really doesn't matter, I mean, it's really not involved to them, they just suck that need right in their sphere. It's like that old movie, The Blob. They're just moving around and pulling people into their life. Maybe that person's not called to be ministered to by you. You know, don't overextend yourself. Verse 14. God will bring the right people into your life, into the ministry. Turn if you to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Because right now there's usually somebody that's thinking, either listening to this online, on CD, or here, that, okay, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't even know what my ministry is, I don't even know if God's called me to do anything. He's called you, don't worry about it. Look, go to Ephesians 3 first. Ephesians 3. I want you just to, I'm going to build a couple points up here. Ephesians 3, Paul's talking about him being called to be a minister. Ephesians 3, look at verse 7 of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now, that word minister, and you know this is a pet peeve of mine, that little catchphrase, every member is a minister. Minister just means to serve. Minister does not mean pastor. You are all ministers. You have people that you minister to. Well, how do you, are you able to minister to people? Because of verse 7, God has given you the gift of grace. God has given you the gift of grace. Now, stay in Ephesians, jump ahead to Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I think it's one translation, maybe New Living Translation, comes right out and says spiritual gifts. Basically what it's saying there is God says, I've given you a measure of grace to minister to people. So usually at this time, says, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not capable. I'm not called. I don't know what to say. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. And they're full of I can'ts and I won'ts and I won't whatever. God says, if I've raised you up, I'll give you the power and the ability to do that. He's done it. And I always tell people, if you are born again and saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, which then means you are given a spiritual gift and God's given you a ministry. Those are facts. If you are saved, you are gifted by the Spirit and you have a ministry. Jump ahead to verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he, meaning God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Why? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God says, I have blessed you with the gift, so that way you can equip other people to be stronger in their walk in the Lord. You can work at ministry. I've called you to ministry. 
I don't say this as some type of threat, and I don't say this as some type of plea. I say this because I care about you spiritually. If you don't have an area in which you're serving as a ministry, I encourage you to prayerfully look for one, because that's part of your Christian walk. That's your workout, your spiritual muscles there. Why? Because you're supposed to edify the body of Christ. God says you are here to help and bless other people. Jump in, I guess jump back if you go to Romans chapter 12 real quick. One more passage about this. Romans 12, please. Romans 12. Some of you may be thinking, okay, I'm not called to be an apostle. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be a teacher. See, that's the problem. There's not an area for me to serve. Well, Romans 12 goes into uh, much better detail here. Look at Romans 12. Uh, let's go ahead and start in verse 6. Romans 12, verse 6. Having then gifts... You have a gift. You have a talent. You have an ability. The Holy Spirit has placed something in your heart where you can serve. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Your gift is different than my gift. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a teacher. I, I know those things, and I don't want to say I'm good acts. That sounds. I don't mean it that way. That's what God's called me. I'm, I'm called to encourage people. I know those things. I'm called to minister. There's certain things I know I'm not called to do. I'm being honest right now. If you're looking for mercy... Sometimes I'm not the person you want to come to for mercy. I'm telling you that right now. If you want mercy, I know certain people out here that will sit down and cry with you and show mercy and grace. Everybody has a different gift. I know where I'm called and I know what I'm called to do. But it doesn't mean I can't do certain things because the Holy Spirit, whatever situation you're in, will rise up. But look at right here in verse 6. Having been gifts, differing according to the grace that is given, let us use them. Prophecy, let us prophesy. In proportion to our faith. Ministry, serving, let us use it in our ministry. Listen, you may be the guy that's never going to get up and teach. You're never going to lead a VBS group. You are never going to teach the Sunday school. You're never going to do any of that. Ministry just means serve. Next time we need people to help move, maybe that's you. The next time we say, hey, so-and-so's repatching the roof, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the first guy to jump up when they say, hey, we need to split the chairs tonight because there's a wedding. That's ministry. That's service. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Exhort just means encouragement. Maybe you're the type of person that you are so good at going over, giving somebody a hug, and saying, good to see you today. God bless you for being here. How can I pray for you? That's a gift. Maybe you're the one that needs to go through the directory at church, and when the Lord just lays somebody on your heart, you drop them a call, you drop them a card. That's exhortation. That's encouragement. He who gives with liberality. Maybe you've been blessed through you can give more. Maybe you can give more of your time, your energy, resources. He who leads with diligence. That's a gift. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, hey, I can take, make sure that gets done. I know out here at church when there's so much going on, it is such a blessing to have people that just get it done. What a blessing that is. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Maybe there's somebody hurting. They dug themselves into such a pit of life and it's just dark and dark. You're the one that can go and just say, hey, I'm here for you. What can I do? How can I pray for you? Those are all gifts. And God says you have one of those somewhere, somehow. And in that gift, you use that in your sphere of influence, in your boundary, in your field to encourage, to uplift, to edify, to share Christ. Don't make your sphere so small that it's just you. We don't need little island Christians and solo Christians. We need your sphere to be the size that God has called it to be to minister to other people. Last point we're going to say, and we'll say it quickly. Look at verse 12 here in 2 Corinthians 10. The problem is we have a tendency to compare ourselves. I can't pray like him. I can't sing like her. I'm not good with kids like they are. I can't write like them. I'm just nothing. Verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. One of the most dangerous things I see is the Christian 
that has just created their own little world with just them. Of course they look good. We just joked about this Sunday. If I never see anybody taller than me, I will think I'm tall. If I never see a professional athlete, I will think I'm in good shape. <laughs> when you only see yourself, you think you're not that bad. I'm not saying the purpose you come to church is to look around and say, well, that person's better than me. I'm not saying that at all. There's a danger, though, in becoming such a solo individual. Part of the reason we do come to church is to be edified, to be encouraged, but to also be a little convicted sometimes. I needed to hear that in the teaching. I needed to hear that in the worship. I needed that. And if I was by myself, I never would have got that. So we need each other to uplift each other and encourage each other. And this is the one thing I always tell people is, you know, once there's new people coming to church, I always tell them, hey, let's see, I'd love to see you get involved someplace. Or, you know, if you've been coming for a while, I'd love to see you get involved in a small group or something like that. Because then when you're in those small groups, well, that's where you really get to know people, which is the blessing, the encouragement, the edifying. But also, number two, you start opening yourself up. Now, for some people, that's just the scariest thought of all scary thoughts. I open myself up. I share prayer requests with people. I tell people what I struggle with. Yeah, that's part of the body of Christ. What do we happen to do a lot of times? We just stay on our own little shell. Lord, make my sphere as small as you possibly can. And please, please don't bring somebody difficult into my life. You know, how many times you're going to get a new coworker? Lord, just pray. It's a good, solid, strong Christian. It's going to be great. Maybe God says, no, I'm sending the worst person you can imagine because that person needs Jesus Christ. I don't want him in my sphere. Well, but God chooses the size of the sphere. He chooses who comes into our lives. And we just need to be faithful to minister to those that God brings in. Paul says to the church at Corinth, hey, like it or not, you're in my field. <laughs> and if you're in my field, I'm spiritually responsible for you. And since I'm spiritually responsible for you, I love you enough to be honest with you. And Paul cares about them. Anybody have any final questions, comments here? John? No. Yeah. Yep. 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 The Bible says be prepared in season and out of season. And that's, that's a great thing. Take one of each, keep them in your car, keep them in your pocket. It's a great little thing. Like I said, you never know when something may pop up. You can say, hey, here, take this. Um, I always keep a copy of a New Believer's Bible in my car because you never know. You never know. And if you know somebody could use a Bible, come let us know. We'll get a Bible in their hands. We'll give it to you. That's a good idea there, John. Anybody else have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's pray then. Lord, we come to you now. And Lord, uh, this is a difficult prayer to pray. But we pray, Lord, for those people in our field that you have brought in for us to minister to that we have difficulties with. In the name of Jesus, help us to love them. Help us to encourage them. Help us to edify them. Lord, it may just be co-workers. It may be extended family. But, Lord, it also may be spouses. It may be kids, siblings. Lord, help us, Lord. Who's ever in that sphere, we want to show the love of Jesus to. And, Lord, we do pray, as your word says, that that sphere would be enlarged. Not for us, not to build our kingdom, not to pat us on the back, but, Lord, enlarge to edify more people, to spread the gospel more. And, I, Lord, I pray that for Harvest Fellowship, that you would keep bringing the people, and we may encourage them and edify them, and then send them back out to be lights and witnesses in all that we say and do. Lord, we're in the business of planting seeds. Help us to plant. Help us to water. You bring the increase, Lord. Not us. You bring the increase. And, Lord, as it says there in your word, you get the glory. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys.